All right, welcome to episode three of the Stack Smashing podcast. This is your unofficial host, Hayden Jones. Um, I do not remember if Ben was an official member of the, the podcast in the last episode we recorded, but he is now, so in case we didn't announce it, we must welcome Ben. Hello. Um, Hello, Ben. Yes, welcome. there is Ben. Um so actually, we are re-recording this podcast episode because last week it was my responsibility to record the episode, and I did not do that. Um, so we did the whole episode without recording it. So you get to hear us do this again, so it may sound a little better this time. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, our favorite tools that we use in uh, just computer science and in programming and in uh I guess not necessarily just computer science and programming, but maybe in daily life as well. Um, yeah, so I guess we can start off with someone if they want to tell us about what tools they use. Yeah, yeah, I can start off. So I use uh, Visual Studio Code for programming, and it's awesome. And I used to use Sublime Text, which is pretty awesome, but... Sublime Text is, is pretty hard to get up and running for a lot of things. you got to do a lot of configuration. Um, it is very fast, though. That is one nice thing about it. But VS Code, uh, right out of the box, you get all of these awesome tools. That, especially if you're doing like web programming, it's got all kinds of like um, linting and IntelliSense for JavaScript and TypeScript and other languages like that. And it's Microsoft... Uh, develops it, so you get the full resources of under Bill Gates' control under creating all of these awesome extensions, and um, a good example of one of those is VS Code Live Share, when you can do like pair programming over the network and and over the internet. So it's like it's like Google Docs for programming. It's pretty sweet. Um, and that's that's the main tool I use. Uh, let's see. So some extensions I use. I use. I do a lot of C plus plus programming. So the the Microsoft extension for C plus plus has got all the IntelliSense features you need, and and uh, it it's really smart about finding all of like the packages and headers and things, and it pulls all the information out of those, and you get a lot of uh, suggestions that are that are very useful. And C++ is just, it's kind of an eyesore to read. And it I honestly think that if you are able to program in C++ without those nice features, that, like, you're, you're basically a god. Because uh, it's, it's very difficult to read. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think that about sums it up for the, for the main tools that I use. That's fair. Um, okay. Does anyone else wanna wanna give it a go? Sure, I can. I gotta wait till the end. Um, what? For oh, my wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I can go. Um. Much like Ben, I use uh, VS Code. Um, with extensions enabling whatever workflow I need to, for the for what I'm working on. Um. And uh, also much like Ben. <laughs> I uh, do a lot of C++ programming, uh, as well as Python, to be honest. But if there was one extension in uh, VS Code that I would uh, recommend anyone 
to use. It's uh, well now it's actually going to be merged in as a, a fe main feature of the program. But um, the settings synchronization extension is absolutely the best thing if you have multiple computers that you work on. It synchronizes extensions, keybinds, whatever, like anything that you configure for the program and just like puts it there. And whenever you boot up a different computer, it will automatically download these updated settings and uh, you're like, you got the same setup essentially. Um, other than that, I, uh, I was recently introduced by um, Ben and Hayden to this uh, other built-in feature to VS Code, which is the C++ debugger, or the debugger tool, which you can configure tasks with, I guess. And it has really uh, changed my life, I guess, for the better, of course. It is incredible uh, the way it interacts with, for me, GDB, but for others, it might interact with the MSVC debugger or whatnot, or even the Clang or um, LLVM uh, debugger. It's, yeah. The LLVM debugger? Yeah. Yeah. Like have a... LLVM provides a debugger? Yeah. It's LLVM DB, I believe. It's, I've been trying to figure out whether or not it's actually good, um, but there's there hasn't been a lot of talk about it since, right, for, in the recent years, there hasn't been a lot of talk about it. So I'm not really, I've never given it a shot and I don't know if it's worth it, but LLVM is, and Clang, that's like a great compiler tool chain. So I would assume that it's at least somewhat good. That's interesting because uh, I actually was under the impression like LLVM was essentially just like, you know, the back end for Clang and that was it. Oh no, it does so I much. I didn't realize that there was a full suite involved. I mean, it, it's more than well, just that. It's also a pipeline in general. Right, mm -hmm. like Clang is the the front end of LLVM for C++, and then there's like Flang, which is being proposed as the front end for LLVM for Fortran. Um, oh, in, people are still writing Fortran? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, Definitely. yeah, go to a national labs, dude. Oh, yeah, it's that's crazy. Uh, that's where all the Fortran is stored. Oof. <laughs> Object-oriented Fortran, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, um... There was something I forgot to mention, which is actually pretty useful. Uh, oh, yeah. Sublime Merge. Uh, Hayden and I have used it. I haven't used it a ton, but it's a, another product by the, the peeps that make Sublime Text. And it's super useful, uh, or at least it appears to be super useful, for uh, resolving merge conflicts with Git. It, it gives you this very large... Uh, very visually oriented representation of merge conflicts. And you get this nice side-by-side -side with all of the files that are conflicting, and they have these, like, swooping, gushy-looking lines that connect all of the uh, blocks of text that are conflicting, and you get to, like, click them and choose them. Uh, it's pretty useful. They also have this big old graph for, uh, like, commits and merges and branches and stuff. Uh, it, it, it's a pretty cool tool, and it's uh, it, it makes dealing with that stuff so much easier. Cause, um, uh, all of you have dealt with merge conflicts, and, and and dealing with them in VS Code can be a little a little confusing sometimes. Um, and it it helps that process for sure. 
Yeah, no, that's uh, that's true. Like any sort of tool you can use for uh, resolving those conflicts. I've actually recently been using, I found an extension for VS Code that um, lets you just navigate between merge conflicts for a specific repo uh, compared to using a, a standalone tool like Sublime Merge. I don't know like how that plays into your workflow, but like, I don't know if I would want to have to use a, a, a another tool again, like start up another process. And like, so is what you're describing right there, OJ, kind of like Git Kraken? I don't know if you've seen Git Kraken. Um, I don't know about that, but like literally all it does is like if you merge in or like you pull or something and you get a, um, you get a conflict in your files, VS Code will already show you what files have conflicts in them. So all you do is you press like, I think the default is like alt equals and it will take you to the next conflict and you can just look at it like the code. Of course, it doesn't split it like Ben suggests and like uh, GitHub by itself does. But it shows them like next to each other. So like the incoming change and the current change. And um, it allows you to just quickly navigate between all of them. If you want to, you can like accept all incoming changes or accept all current changes uh, in master or whatever branch you're working on and just quickly get it to resolve. But with a graphical interface, like uh, like Ben described with um, like where you can click on things and it'll take you to essentially the code that's in question. I mean, I don't see that being particularly useful, at least for me. Well, the, but... the cool thing about Merge is that um, you get a side-by-side, -side not only with incoming and uh, um, what you, outgoing changes. Current, uh, yeah. Current, thank you. Uh, but you also get the file that is going to be the result of the Merge. So you can actually edit the file right then and there. So if like if something can't be resolved by accepting changes and you actually need to do some manual editing, you can do it mm -hmm. right there. And it's, it's pretty convenient for that. Interesting. Yeah, so what I, uh, and because I stepped away for five seconds, I totally came back in the middle of that and misunderstood what you're saying. But um, uh, essentially, Git Kraken is really cool. It's uh, this, and I don't use it. It's one of those things that like you download and you're like, oh, I want to, you're like, oh, I want to use this. And like, this is part of my workflow <laughs> now. And then you never open up again. <laughs> but like. Git Kraken is just this full GUI suite for Git. It has these awesome dependency graphs and like, you know, uh, commit graphs and like it has everything you could ever think of, but you don't need any of that, you know, realistically, if you're a command line soldier, unlike oh, certain heathens that are gonna, that are using the GUI to yeah. com make commits. Alec but, uses you know, VS you know, Code but refuses to use the GUI for anything. You should, no, but command line, why would you not use git command line? I do not understand why you use git through the GUI. It hurts me inside. Why? It's right it's there. Because it's easier. Yeah. It's You're right there. Already but no, but I, I already have a, I already have a terminal open, so. Uh, I don't. I never use terminal. It's GUI all the time, man. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> no. I use, I actually don't have a keyboard. But... I only use the mouse. It's a Toby eye tracker. Right. <laughs> the first thing, uh, the first thing Ben puts into any project, he actually hand rolls a uh, exactly. He hand rolls a terminal real quick. Yeah. Um, right. The smart way. Of course. No, but like Good I don't, God. I don't see why you would, why you wouldn't use it. It's literally right there. 
I mean, I, I'd like to think it's not just pure stubbornness. It might just be pure stubbornness. Well, but I mean, considering you don't, don't use know. a linter, it's definitely just pure stubbornness. Mm, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I I sort of stand by my linter reasoning, at least. Which is? I, I'm willing to admit this might be pure stubborn. We'll, we'll get to that when I talk about my setup, but, you know. I don't know. It, that's sort of dumb to me, but it's whatever. Yeah, that's fair. What about you, Hayden? What do you use for uh, your uh, daily driver, let's say? Okay, I use VS Code like every single person in this podcast. Um, it's not like we're biased or anything. <laughs> right. Although today I was editing a really large file, um, and I was trying to do like batch edits on it. Oh, no. And VS Code really isn't great at that. I mean, this was like hundreds of thousands of lines long. VS Code will die on files that big. Yeah. So I opened it in Sublime Text because Sublime Text generally handles files that large very well. And actually, Sublime Text also died. Really? Um, yeah. So I had to fire up Trusty Vim, yeah. and it felt really good um, because I, you know, I remember like all the search and replace commands. So that was really easy to do globally. And what was really nice is I had to delete. Um, like the middle third of the file and it was delimited by two strings that said zone so I know I had to delete everything between the zones and there really wouldn't be like a simple way to do that in sublime text or in VS code but with Vim you just search to the first zone it takes you to that line you hit you know control V search to the second one and it highlights everything in between it and I delete it can I it suggest was, um, a, a workable solution in sublime and VS code Assuming you can, they can open the file and keep it open. <laughs> yeah, sure. A regex. Because you can, um, you can okay, like, no. find and replace <laughs> with regexes. That solution. That's yeah, not a solution. I That's think regex is always the best solution. It's horrendously I'm not, like, painful to do, but still. I'm So what would the regex be? Like I have zone and then a capture group for everything and then zone and then I replace on that? Yeah, but you have a, you have a lazy capture group, so it stops the moment... It hits the the second zone essentially. I see. Well, I don't know how to do that, so that would have taken me probably fifteen minutes to figure out because <laughs> I would have fair. to open regex or dot com <laughs> and then I'd have to play with it to make sure it worked and I wasn't gonna delete other stuff. No, that's totally fine. Um But yeah, so I really, really like Vim. And I really wish that I could use Vim. I just the IntelliSense on Vim is really hard to set up, and that's what I don't like. I mean, I, I've got like NerdTree, I've got all the great plugins, I've got Vim Airline, stuff like that, but it's just, I need that IntelliSense but, because, I don't know, I'm a crippled programmer <laughs> or something, I guess. I mean, can someone actually explain to me what IntelliSense exactly refers to? I can take a good guess, but I've never actually heard it explained. So it, it it's predicting what the next token you're going to type is going to be, mm -hmm. and right, the better the IntelliSense, um, the better their predictions. So, um, I mean, is that just text completion or is it kind of to another level? What's the story there? It's so it can be it can be like a little more like you could do it simply like completing function names, right? Like if you type half the function name, it can probably suggest like functions that satisfy that first half. But it's like okay. it's even more like if you do stuff for if you do something for one variable and you need to do that same operation on another variable. And let's say the variables are called var a and var b a really intelligent IntelliSense would 
suggest var a for the first set of operations, and then it would suggest var b for the second set of operations. Um, hmm, okay. So yeah, it's just really good uh, text completion, and actually VS Code has a plugin called Visual Studio uh, IntelliSense. Mm, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's actually driven by machine learning, which is pretty cool. So they train models on actual source code to get even better at IntelliSense completion. Oh. Um, Interesting. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to ask real quick because I don't know, and I'm sure some people listening might right. not know. Right. Um, and then it uses, and yeah, we should talk about this because it was a, it's a cool little tidbit from the first recording of this episode, but uh, you get the, the language server. Uh, and that, and then, oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> the language yeah. server. And uh, it uses that information to determine, like, uh, c completions for you. So it'll build, like, a whole structure, semantic structure off of your program. And say you're typing in, like, uh, something dot, and then it'll look for the members of something, and it'll suggest them to you. So you don't have to do any thinking. And it's nice not to have to do any thinking. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. This will help give a better example of what intelligent IntelliSense is. So, right, in C++, if you have a class, you can have functions that can only be called on const members, right? There are certain functions that cannot be called on, sorry, const instances. So there's functions that you just cannot call on const instances, and there there are functions that you can. Um, if... Visual Studio Code will build a parse tree of your text document. So if it knows that the member you have is a constant, if the object you have is constant, it'll only suggest functions that can be called on constant objects, uh, which is really nice. Because, you know, generally there's like a ton, so you have to sort them out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you, do you guys want to talk more about the language server? Yeah, sure. so I guess... I can real quick describe. So uh, last during our last recording of this, we uh, were talking about this and explained it, but we totally neglected it this time. So um, uh, the language server is essentially a protocol and straight off the website, it defines the protocol used between an editor or IDE and a language server that provides language features like autocomplete, go to definition, find all references, etc. Basically the ideas that like, you have this language server running, and then that can be plugged into whatever IDE, whatever text editor you're using. So your Vim, your uh, Visual Studio Code are both going to be able to use the exact same features because they both have implementations of this language server protocol. So you can just plug in whatever language server you want to use, and they already know how to interact with that and just use that right out of the box. Hmm. Uh, does, that, does anyone want to correct that or add to that? No, sounds about right. Um, I mean, I, I don't know enough to go more in depth. It yeah, just, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, maybe it helps, you know, give like, go on, OJ. Maybe just like mention that it's, it's, even though it's a protocol, it's running internally on your machine so that you're not right. directly interfacing with some outside entity, um, like compared to some, like, right. I don't know. I don't think there would be any linters out there that would use their own resources like that, but like, yeah, I mean, based on like what the, the the language server protocol is like JSON RPC, so like presumably you could make it work over the network, mm -hmm. um, but that would just be very strange. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, that would uh, or it seems like it could allow for like 
mass interpretation and free up resources on a local machine if that's necessary. But today, like, it doesn't seem like it would be necessary considering the fact that, um, like, a lot of computers today are just, like, powerful enough to run, like, pre-trained machine learning algorithms or whatnot. So, like, it doesn't really matter that it could. Yeah. Likely you would never want to do that. Exactly. You know, just uh, out of curiosity, I was looking over the languages that they support that, you know, have servers written for them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play a game of, I'm going to say a language, you're going to guess if it was implemented, that language server, by Microsoft or not. So Microsoft is the company that runs these language servers. Mm-hmm. We're okay. going to see if people can figure out what languages they would bake into this from the start. Okay. So first of all, Bash, do you think Microsoft added this themselves? Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Damn it. They Boom. did not. Uh, C++. Put one up on of the course. board. Yes. Okay. Not. Two up on the board for Hayden. Microsoft has did their they? own C++ yeah. compiler, dude. Yeah, but I mean... It, it's still, like... They, they did do C++. Okay. Um, um, CSS. Uh, I'm going to say no. Yes. no. What? No. They did. I'm wow. Three three up on the board for God Hayden. Come on, guys. <laughs> I mean, you got to you got to consider like realistically like HTML and CSS have to be the most written languages technically, right? They're not programming languages. Well, maybe the oh. most <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest here. Right. They're a markup language and I don't a even know what style is. Yeah. Cascading style mm. sheets. <laughs> okay, uh the next language I'm going to go for is Fortran. Do you think Microsoft implemented it or not? Oh. Um. Yes. Yeah. Sure. They did not. What? Oh no! Wow. Lame. Tragic. Okay. Um. How about JSON? What? They must. I don't Why would you even write a language it... server for JSON? Well, because you do have to do linting on it. But it's there are linting yeah. plugins. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think they did. Sure, why not? It's so useful. It'd be easy. I could do okay. it right now. It was done by Microsoft. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Okay. How about... Oh, okay. You don't say Rust. PowerShell. <laughs> How about PowerShell? PowerShell? Do you think they wrote the one for PowerShell? No, because, because uh, I'm being contrary. I mean, I would imagine yes. It was. I just kind of wanted to see if I could trip you guys up. Um, okay. Uh, do you think that they wrote the Python language server? Mm. I no. Well, just considering like, yes. some of the usefulness of the, of the service to them. Yes, I do, I do believe they did. That was a trick question, actually. It was not only written by Microsoft, but also they list multiple other implementations. Also, Microsoft invented so I win. and computers. Uh, bro, put some they respect on Guido Van Rossum, bro. Put some respect. Yeah, but did, hasn't he given up? He's like... He's, he's, yeah, he's Python no longer benevolent. Uh, benevolent dictator for life, I believe, is the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, that's all the interesting what? ones I can Wh- where's look C-Sharp? at. Where's C-Sharp? Where's C-Sharp? Okay. Uh, so. Well, they Rust certainly wrote the C sharp one. I know. Yeah, Rust was not done by them. Rust actually, was I not don't think they did C. They actually did not do the C sharp one. Are you kidding? Are you me? They invented yeah. C sharp. 
That was OmniSharp, a cross-platform .NET environment. Oh my god. Or development environment. Lame. A family of open source projects, each with one goal, to enable a great .NET experience. Oh god. Doubt. In your editor of choice. Oh wow. It kind of makes sense why they would do my editor of choice. (laughs) Golly. Not just in Visual Studio. (laughs) Now cost two thousand dollars for one seat. What? I don't know. I just made that number up. That's probably right. I was like, wait a minute. Fair. Okay, so we totally uh, derailed there, but that was that was fun. Wait, who Um, won? Okay. I think Hayden had to have. I wasn't actually keeping track, but. Hayden was a fucking monster there. Sorry, I was throwing windmill dunks all over <laughs> you guys. That's <laughs> how it is, you know. Okay. Uh, do you have any other tools you want to talk about, Hayden? Yeah, just a couple. I'll try to keep it short. Cause I no, really no, like... you have all the time in the world, Hayden. Oh, oh trust me, dog, you don't want that. Um, <laughs> Val <Grind>. So, <laughs> yeah, Valgrind. <laughs> so, I use... I pro- I pro- I've been programming a lot in C++ recently. I mean, always I would prefer to be writing in Python. It's just sometimes Python isn't the right tool. So I've been using C++ a lot recently. And C++ does solve a lot of issues that, that C, you know, exposes to you, like bounds checking and stuff like that, and uh, managing memory. But honestly, when you're writing C++, you're going to encounter situations where, like, you are still going to have to deal with issues like that and Valgrind really helps there um so Valgrind is like a, a large suite of tools that it can it can check your memory usage to make sure that you're not accessing memory that hasn't been initialized um to make sure that you're freeing everything that you allocate to make sure you're not freeing things that like you actually didn't allocate stuff like that so that would be like the mem check tool in Valgrind it also has a tool called callgrind um, which is used to profile your software, you know, to make it faster. Um, and there's also, uh, inside of it is like a cache simulator. So it can actually simulate, um, you know, how well you're managing your cache and it has a branch prediction simulator. So you, it's, it's just this really in-depth tool that you can, you can use to squeeze like the best performance out of your program. And um, when you're when you're trying to write performant code, it's really useful. Um, so I use that all the time. And I guess uh, we left this, this to the end as an afterthought in the previous podcast, but I'll bring it up now. Um, so I use Notion all the time, and I use it for personal projects, and I use it for group projects. Um, I'm not very good at explaining exactly what it is, <laughs> so I'm going to leave it up to Ben to do that. <laughs> okay, so... Imagine you have a note-taking software, but it does everything. So any type of information you want to organize, you can do with Notion. So you can have kind of like spreadsheets, more more like tables of information. You can have uh, different types of information. So you can have multimedia. You can have just straight up pages of text. You can have um, like Kanban boards, so like task boards. And you can uh, collaborate with other people as well. So you can, like, assign tasks to people. You can attach documents. You can do, like, markdown-style formatting. So you can make, like, really nice-looking pages. And you can also assign attributes to these things. And you can organize them using these attributes. So you can use, like, tags or numbers 
or our links or our tag other people um, and you can you can organize all of this information any way you want so you can take this say you have like a Kanban board or something and you attach dates to some of the cards you can actually make a calendar view out of that and it's the same information the same cards if you edit them in the calendar view they get edited in the other view in in like the board view and they'll just get organized in different ways so and you can also embed all of these things within other pages or cards so it's extremely generalized and you can do just about any sort of information organizing task with it and it, it runs in the browser and there's like a there's a windows app for it um and we found someone who made a like a container so that it would work on linux for it which is pretty cool it's and it's um it's also free it has some limited features when it's free but it's definitely super usable even the free version it's fantastic one issue yeah with the free version though is the limitation of the number of blocks you can have so like a block would be any non-text element Right. Because they limit right. that so to like, like two thousand, I think, or a thousand. I think it's yeah, I think it's a thousand. Mm -hmm. I actually never hit that Me limit. Neither. I upgraded before I hit that limit. Mm -hmm. Um, but once I started putting like a ton of images in my Notion because I wanted to keep track of like all the art that mm -hmm. I really enjoy, and I knew I was gonna hit the limit, so I I decided to up, um, upgrade my plan, right. mm -hmm. and I wanted to support Notion. No, that's totally fair. Like, when I was writing up a study guide in Notion for one of my classes last semester, I noticed that, like, from that one study guide, I had 900 elements that were just, like, nested inside of each other. And that immediately just brought me to the limit of, uh, like, what you could do with a free version. So I had to upgrade to their educational plan, which, uh, I mean, yeah, that's how it is, like... I, I just wish they had a larger limit for uh, for the free version, but well, I'd say it's like, worth the money. Got to make money somehow. It's yeah, it's worth the money for sure. It's not very expensive. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. I mean, it's like four dollars a month or something. It yeah, can definitely be worse. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. super super useful. And hey, they're hiring. So if there's anyone listening to this who's looking for a job, bingo. Software developer. Is Notion actually they are hiring a bunch company? of positions. They, company, yeah. they have twenty positions open. What right did you now. think? Damn. It was like one Bro, dude in his the... basement. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It never struck me as like a full ass company. What, who do you think so, made like, it? What are they Aliens? looking for then? I, I, no, okay, y'all can. I, I don't know. It's okay, Alec. I love you and forgive you. I'm now looking it's at ancient technology. Thing. It is ancient no technology. Works. That's you know, why Alec, you should. Alec, you should apply a motion. I've been telling Ben to apply at Notion. He they do, do require it, like do four years of prior software development experience. It's not really me, but maybe you, Alec. Maybe you'll get you would count. Do it. I'm trying to see what they're um like what are they actually looking for? Oh yeah, and their hiring yeah, page is actually is made. Not <laughs> it's made with Notion. It's really cool. Yeah, it's just not particularly straightforward. No, it's not. <laughs> uh okay. Um I'll look at this after. Um so, Hayden, do you have any more tools you want to talk about, or no, should I go into the? Wait, uh... for me, you should. Wait. Do, 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 what's up? I gotta talk about this again because it's just 
I can't skip it. I just can't. I gotta talk about Eagle Mode. No. So, oh my gosh. Have you ever... Oh, no. It's cool. It's very cool. Did you guys try it? It's very cool. I know what it is. But... I've looked into it before, yeah. <laughs> you should try it. <laughs> so, everyone, everyone on their computer uses some sort of uh, software to navigate their directories, their files, or whatever. Usually, it's just a big list of folders and files, and if you want to see the contents of a directory, you actually have to enter the directory. That's very lame, and Eagle Mode solves that problem by allowing you to recursively see into directories all at once. So it's got this big plane of directories, and inside of them, if they have any nested directories, you can see their children and their children up until... It's too small to see. And you can zoom in. You don't actually have to click. No clicking. No clicking allowed. You just get to zoom in and, and, and look at the contents of files. You can zoom into binary files and see the hex. And you can zoom into images and load images. You can zoom into videos and load videos. Zoom into plain text files and read them. It's awesome. And it's only slightly nauseating really incredible piece of software <laughs> it's it's actually it's actually amazing what they've been able to do because it performs pretty well like the bottleneck is certainly the disk access because right you can imagine that if you have a directory with like like a hundred other directories in it it's gonna have to load all of them and and it's mm -hmm. also going to have to if you have a bunch of big files open it'll have to load those big files on, on the fly while you're looking at it but it actually performs pretty well, and the graphical element of it is very performant, and you can zoom in and, and click around and, and and navigate pretty easily without much of a hitch. It's actually a pretty impressive toy. I mean, it's not actually that useful, but like the only use case I can imagine for it is if you were like a like someone just gave you a computer and you're like, oh, it, what's on this? I, I wonder. I wonder if I can find any porn. And then you can just no. use um. Like, well, they're not going to name a their... magnifying glass. Right. And, uh, <laughs> no zooming allowed either. Right. right. And, and you're not going to... You can't just search for the porn folder. Like, it's not going to be called porn. So you got to use eagle Cold mode works. to do that. There you go. Right. You can, you can pretty easily explore a file system with it. And, and that's why I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's also just a cool novelty. And I, I like novelty software, so... I don't know. Like, it seems... Yeah, I mean, as you're saying, it's just novel and it's just weird. But I don't know. It seems so useless, even <laughs> just like for ever finding anything in your file system, right? Like, yeah. a file system is a concrete thing that like needs uh, like structure, right? It's still got structure. Um, it's just displayed in a very different way. I guess so. I don't know. Personally, if I were gonna use a uh, a like uh, just a terminal or like just a general file explorer to find files. I think I would use something called Ranger. Oh, that's a that's a terminal based um, file explorer, exactly. right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yes, but it's all based on the Vim like layout, syntax, and like how that shit works. Yeah, I've used so it. So you cool. have it's just really nice for systems. Uh, where you don't know the general like file structure and typing in like commands after command, like it becomes tedious when you're exploring. 
in like, let's say you're in a TTY, right? Like no screen or whatnot. So like running Ranger then is much more suitable for those types of applications when you don't know the general file layout of where anything could be. Cause you can just navigate with like clicks and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And Ranger, it'll show you them. It'll show you the contents of other, of like multiple directories at the same time, right? Kind of like, Oh yeah. A... And it can actually show you, it can render PDFs mm. oh, in the nice. terminal. That's cool. Kind of so like you can the um, PDFs. Yeah. As text. Kind of like the, uh, the Mac OS file explorer. Alec, where you could like see the contents of multiple directories at the same time. Yeah, no, it's pretty nice. Um, one thing that should be noted: you all use uh, Linux, correct, as your primary operating yeah. system for when you develop. Yeah. Just, just wanted to note that before we talk about the superior operating system, <laughs> Mac OS. Um, no, so um. I use Visual Studio Code for my uh, primary developing. I don't really use any plugins whatsoever, except for uh, I have a I have a plugin that syncs my Discord in my VS Code <laughs> to tell my Discord what file I'm editing. You know, just I mean, I stuff. do check up on but, you um, occasionally and say, "Oh, like, what's Alec like editing? Oh, it's another yeah. Go file. Who knew?" Look, <laughs> he's been in the same workspace for nineteen hours. Does it really say 19 hours right now? Sometimes it does. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, it's not great about figuring out if I'm idling or if I'm <laughs> actually editing that. But um, no, so that's pretty awesome. Um, I don't actually use any linters um, for a very specific reason, which has been the topic of much debate. But um, I actually don't like using them. I feel like to be honest with you, I feel like they're a crutch in some ways. Like, basically, I think that I write better code when I have to worry about doing that stuff myself. Like, I'm more attentive. Um, I'm more aware of what's going on. I don't know. I mean, and again, maybe that's just a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm going to be more attentive if I don't try to use it with a linter. But well, I'm knows? sure you have a more intuitive understanding of um, of things like like syntax and and maybe even just like the the structure of the program you're writing, right? Because you, you are forced to memorize. Uh, you're, you're forced to memorize those things. Yes, but I also have such horrible memory. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Googler. I can barely... I can write Python one day, and then the next day I'll forget what the syntax for variable declaration in Python is. Like, I don't know why, but things just will escape my mind very easily. So it's like kind of this trade-off of like, yes, I don't have that baked in to tell me if I'm doing it wrong, but to me it feels like... I'm a little bit more attentive to my code, even if I do have to, uh, you know, compile or interpret it to figure out if well, I'm wrong. Well, could you write code without Google? No, certainly Crutch. not. That's, yeah. I, do you think there's a single, okay, well, never mind. I'm not going to make that statement because I'll be proven wrong very quickly. I think people can write code without using Stack Overflow. Oh, totally. Like... That's, why I, that's why I stopped that. But I do think it's a very valuable resource, realistically. Yeah, same. Saves a lot of time. Yeah, like yeah, it. and now for uh, oh, the discussion that's going to tear the world in half. I use light mode themes for everything. Um, my VS Code is like a pure white background with just syntax highlighting. Um, yeah, so uh, you all may discuss and yell at me very very quickly. God. So, I, I said this last time, but you're... Until recently, you've been a first-class citizen. 
of software. You have most software, like aside from terminals, and especially websites, web pages, those have been white background forever, for a long time, since the time of like green text on a terminal. So your your era is coming to an end, and and soon you are going to be you are going to be the minority. So enjoy it while it lasts. Dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> Although Scott would you approve. You know what? When no well, Scott yeah, used. Scott used no, light. Scott, Scott totally. Light. He hated Scott dark. Used light mode? Yeah, he he actually yeah. spoke out against it. It's pretty funny. He did. I actually didn't remember this. I wonder if it's a subconscious, like emulating the guy who taught me to code. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. No, but yeah, uh, light mode over dark mode every time. Wrong, but okay. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you another thing yeah. though. Uh, in your defense, uh, there's there's nothing aesthetically wrong with light theme. That it's aesthetically pleasing. But it's also extremely straining on the eyes. That that's why I yes, can't vibe I mean, with that. I think a lot of people only talk about how much they hate light mode to hate light mode. I don't actually think people have a huge issue with it. I think it's kind of become such a meme. I don't know. <laughs> it isn't. Yeah, it is a meme. Do, that's true. Do your eyes not hurt? I at know. Night seriously, when you're programming. Uh, I'm okay. I will actually say I've had one time in like the past year that I did have to basically like step back and go, all right, I'm gonna put this in a dark mode because I can't do this. But it's only <laughs> been one time in okay. all of my, you know, I think I've been using light theme since I have my, a... so three years ago, sophomore year. I have a question then. Uh-huh. Because you're using glasses. So this is relevant. Are your glasses <laughs> like also no. sunglasses <laughs> so they go no, dark they like when at night when you just have like bright light shining and you're just like i can't see a thing but your glasses just adjust then no they do not although i have noticed sometimes on late night zoom calls um i can see like my the paleness of my face is reflected by the light <laughs> coming out of my screen yes that's exactly but what you yeah. want to see whenever you're on zoom like Exactly. 10 o'clock at night and just like, why is there like a class or meeting, whatever. Yeah. You know, what I really um, want, though, is everything to be like an, like an e-ink screen. Because those mm -hmm. are such a pleasure to look at. Like, seriously. And you can light them from the front. Which is great. So you can just like, you could just like shine a lamp on your computer screen and, and like, or go out <laughs> in the sun. And like programming, it'd be fine. That would be sick. But the, unfortunately, the refresh rate and the colors yeah, aren't aren't super great. It's just like horrendous. And I mean, there's only two yeah. colors. They're monochrome. No, 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 no. They they oh, have they have yeah. more. They, really? Yeah, they have colored ink displays. I mean, they're not popular, and they're probably very very expensive if you can even buy them right now. But they do exist. Really, I haven't heard about that at all. Yeah, they're well, they're not like products yet. But there is like. I think there was one at, like, CES or some shit like that. Oh, I see. So they're, they're like, tech prototypes. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. So the other tools I use is um, I do a lot of um, database stuff inadvertently, and I'm a plebeian who likes to use a WYSIWYG. So oh, uh, for uh, a lot of my database interactions, I use a tool called a DB Engine. Um, D-B-N-G-I-N, 
which I literally just used to start and stop my databases. Um, it's really nice. But then that links directly into a tool called Table Plus that gives you like a full layout and you can execute SQL inside of it. It's just really nice for uh, visualizing what you're actually seeing. And like, I use it essentially to like a lot of the time, like if I have to check that an application sent, them, sent something into the database, I can just refresh that page and, you know, I've got the row on my screen as a row column format rather than, you know, having to actually make a query to check it. I know, I know there's better solutions, but that's the service with your computer. You're running Unix anyway, so right, like you can just write the service and have it be there when you start up your computer. Sure, sure. I have that for some of mine, but for instance, like some of mine, like um, when I use Hasera, which I talked about, I think on podcast one, I have to run that in a Docker container and have it pointing at a Postgre database. Yep. I don't always have that Docker container running. So what I like to do is basically like I'll start it using this DB engine and hmm. then I can start and stop it through that. And it just kind of keeps me, I guess, aware of what's running. I also started to run like port collision issues where I try to run multiple databases. Um, Very nice. And then I also use a tool called Postman a lot, which is just like a kind of suite for like API testing. Um, you could just make requests to whatever endpoints you give it. Uh, you can fill out full bodies. You can authenticate. Uh, you can set up automated tests. It's just it's just really nice. It's a good tool for uh, API work. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then um, I think we talked about this on the last one, but real quick, we can talk about um, chat tools, Slack, Mattermost, Discord, God. Um, whatever. Uh, I hate Mattermost, but I use it for work, unfortunately. Discord is my primary tool. I've used Slack, sucks. but yeah. It's not know. good. Is anyone pro Slack? Um, is what? Is anyone, is anyone like? Slack? Does they like I, Slack? I I am doubling back on what I said last time because I, it's improved. <laughs> it's improved. I, I used it like a few years ago and I didn't like it very much, but it's gotten a lot better. And I actually think the search function is better than Discord's, honestly, because you can search the content of links, I believe, in Slack, and you cannot do that in Discord. Wait, what do you mean by search the content? Uh, the the link, like the text in the oh, link. Oh, link. I see. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. But Discord is great. That's like a full 180 from what you said. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, totally. I want to I try to be less negative, so this is a step in that direction. Fair. <laughs> Only positive, Ben. Right, and if I have something negative to say, I'm just going to cough really loud or make some guttural noise instead. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so i think we should try to take a quick talk about things that interested us this week but we should try to keep it pretty short i think because we're running about Mm -hmm. on an hour um who wants to start off i can start off considering there was one thing i was very excited about coming into this recording session uh that i just got an email about uh and that is that github is opening up for all users such that you can have unlimited collaborators on private repos uh, mm-hmm. just forever. without Right, having... pretty much Teams is now free. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is absolutely amazing. Like, Yeah, I mean, they're an impressive company, honestly. Like, they do, it feels like they work really hard to provide their services as much as they can. Yeah. Uh, one thing to consider, though, is, like, other services like GitLabs, which you can, I mean, you... There, there are pros and cons to GitLab. Like, you can self-host, which is definitely a pro, I think, for certain yeah. companies in certain situations. But, like, they 
also don't, if I remember correctly, they don't have a limit to like the number of collaborators you can have or like any sort of stuff like that. So yeah. I think they're might like on that sort of thing. I think they're just catching up on the times to be honest. Wait, I thought GitLab had limits. I don't think I so. I thought Not I had a stricter limits. I mean, GitLab, what I've experienced with GitLab is like, for instance, like when my team for work moved from GitHub to a self-hosted GitLab, we found that like, for instance, we had some stuff set up on GitHub where like, if you wanted to PR and then if you wanted to merge that branch into master, mm-hmm. you had to have three approvals. On the GitLab version that we're self-hosting, that's not in their free tier. You have to pay for that. What? So really? we have to just rely on the fact of, like, you're not merging this code into master if you're not paying. <laughs> okay. Like, there's some stuff like that. Like, I think GitLab is more limited in my opinion, but I also haven't used GitLab as extensively as GitHub. Hmm. Interesting. So they, they might just be catching up to each other, to be honest, then. It's totally possible, yeah. Because, like... And then there's also, like, GitHut, which I've never <laughs> used. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever seen GitHub. Their like pages are just super like straightforward and blank. I'm gonna look it up. It's literally just like yeah, it's it's. Something. Does it just look like a GNU website? Yes, oh, yes, exactly. With just like you know, it has like tilde slash username I think in the top left if I remember correctly. <laughs> wow, it tried to co- <laughs> need CSS anyway. <laughs> it actually Google tried yeah. to correct me to GitHub when I typed in GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> You know, now that I think about it, that's a bad name. There's no way that's like... It's a combination of GitHub and Pizza Hut. Yes. <laughs> right, the two best source control tools. <laughs> I mean, their page doesn't look too bad. At least their landing page. Let me see what? if I can but find... But the landing uh, page the has nothing to at. do with their service. Well, I guess it, what do you mean? it does. Like it so does, but I want to see what the... Repos. I want to see some GitHub pages. Um, that's what I'm... Yeah, let me... I was looking at this page earlier, actually. Wait, it's like this is this is just no GitHub. GitHub is not a hosting API. It isn't. Is it, it is not? not? Is it self-hosting? What it's is it? Just... No, it's just showing like activity on like services like GitHub. Yep. Oh, I think it's actually specifically for GitHub. Discover more about the usage of programming languages in GitHub. Yep. Yeah, Alex mm. is just like telling his false Hold information. Hold on, I'm gonna send you guys. Um, I'm gonna send you guys a page that, at least to me, implied the opposite when I was looking at it. Oh, this is oh okay. I was actually talking about Source Hut, not uh, GitHub. Oh yeah, my Source bad, Hut. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been used a yes. lot. Yes. Yeah. What about Source Forge. Oh, even better. Oh, good there god. Go. This back. just gave me flashbacks to middle school downloading Same. Minecraft mods from Source Forge. There are there's still legitimate software distributed on <laughs> Source Forge, and I just feel. Dirty down. Like <laughs> you ads. don't know what the fuck you're getting. There's ads everywhere. That should not you be a no thing. You have no idea what you're getting. Good God. Yeah, Source Hut. Yeah, looks no, like Source Hut. But Source Hut is definitely used a lot. Like, um, I on a personal project of mine, I've been trying to uh, work on. I've actually had to uh, look into Source Hut repos for like things like Sway. Uh, which is a Wayland compositor that mimics like i3 um, for uh, x11, but like because I because I had to look at their build systems to understand how they imported a specific package, which was an absolute bitch. Let me tell you, but that's <laughs> a story for another time. Uh, but like, it's totally just like fine to to navigate, even though it, they have 
practically zero CSS. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's um I was reading this article today that was calling something like that human first design and it's like can a human get around it? We don't give a shit if they like what they're looking at. Can they get around it? Yeah. What? I mean, I would I would actually argue that like this is easier to navigate than something like GitHub. Especially on yeah. something like a mobile device. What? Because navigating I mean, I mean what? Yes, I'd agree with you. GitHub navigation on apps or like on mobile is oh. awful. I mean, the app is okay, but it's still not I great. Use a, well, yeah. Oh man, I use a uh, like a third-party GitHub app that's actually pretty good. What like is Fast it Hub? called? Is it? Yeah, Fast Hub. It's Fast Hub. Yeah, I used to use it, but then I got into the GitHub mobile beta for Android, and uh, that app is so much better the, uh, than Fast Hub. Sorry, you cut out. What was it? Oh, the GitHub uh, oh. app for Android. Oh, you're in the beta. It's so much better. Yeah. Cool. It's actually now fully released, too. It's oh, no is longer it? in beta. Yeah. Okay. They just, what, yesterday added the ability to change branches, though? So it's... Yeah, I had an issue with that the other day. I was. I also noticed um, for pull requests, I couldn't approve code. I could only leave a comment. Really? Yeah, it's still lacking. But, like, I don't know why you would be trying to, like actually read through the source code on oh, your I phone. Oh, I do that all the time, dude. Or, like, approve a pull, your, pull no, request on a phone. No, I think approving PRs on, a, on, my, on, like, a phone is fine. Yeah. That's I mean, that a... was totally the use case I was in the other day. Like, <laughs> unless... Like a... Well, I, just, I don't understand. Like, unless um, you've actually gone through and verified the source code yourself, like, why, why are you... What's the point of them even filing a pull request if you're just going to if you're just going to accept it on the phone. No, because you read through so, the code. Well, yeah. Well, also the situation, Can like, you... for instance, like, I had, like, essentially, like, someone had pushed, like, a quick bug fix that was literally, like, fixed this. I'll be honest. Okay. Yes, it's not proper code review, but I absolutely was just like, you know what? I'm going to trust that they tested that they fixed that. I, mean, I understand like that. <laughs> but, like, if, like, Ben is trying to merge the optimizer right now for a compiler, mm -hmm. I'm not going to read through the code on my phone. Oh god, just no. Wouldn't no, work. no, no. I mean it's it's a when needed thing. It should not be like your Oh yeah, I primarily use GitHub on my phone. <laughs> yeah, who needs a computer anyway, dude? No, but like I'm oh, doing god. it right now and it's great. Like it has very good syntax highlighting. Especially on my phone at least, like with it being in dark mode. I can easily read and I don't understand think... what's going on. Because I, I don't know think the, code. the issue is syntax hide. You don't know the code in a pull request, though. That's the problem with a pull request. It's new. No, but you, I mean, you know what context it's happening in. You, Hopefully, the person who made the PR made, like, a comment, like, explaining what's supposed to go on. And you can probably discern, like, what they're trying to achieve and maybe even analyze their, um, their code, like, quickly just to see if you can identify any bugs like those are i'm not i think you might misunderstand me i'm not saying it's impossible or that you shouldn't do it i'm just saying that the layout of a phone isn't really welcoming for quality code review yes i mean again it's a it's a i mean it's the last case scenario you should not be utilizing git on your phone or github on your phone you know all the time it should be shit i'm on the go I got to approve this so they can get a move on, you know? I would say it's sort of a... The use case is like, I have to get this done right now. 
if you have the t- if you have the ability to see it on a screen that's not five inches, you know, go for it. Damn, Every time, I'd inches. say. How old is it? I actually have no clue what my phone size. I was trying to estimate. Um, it's like uh, probably between six and seven. Yeah. A seven-inch phone? Are we talking about diagonal or vertical? Vertical, bro. Diagonal, of course. Three Street inches wide. Diagonal? That's like seven inches long. That's like a seven-inch diagonal is like a Galaxy Note. One inch deep. Well, he has the iPhone. What? Eleven? I have. I have the XC. I think I don't know. XR is that a thing? You Something don't. Like that. You don't have the XR. You. You. You have. Sure well, you have, no, you don't have the XR. Let me tell you, <laughs> uh, that that's not the XR. But like, it's an iPhone 10 at least. Um, no, it's the XR. I'm looking at it right now. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. Interesting. Well, okay. So, um, the iPhone uh, 10 has a 5.8 screen size or 5.8 inch screen size, diagonal. Right, yeah, and there were there was a lot of issues with like PR issues with the iPhone 10 and it being too big. Really? Yeah, I never I never heard that actually. That's funny. That, that's why they have made the future iPhone smaller. I mean, they have a max version and they have a, a smaller version. That's yeah. exactly why they're splitting it into two sizes now. Interesting. Okay, uh, I just like Google the screen size of my phone, and for some fucking reason it just comes up in centimeters instead of inches oh, it knows okay i have a 6.4 inch screen like a 7 inch screen isn't that much larger oh god that's my phone my phone is like 5.4 i think that's almost like an inch and a half bigger that's just enormous you're it's like you're holding a little tablet yeah and the phone i'm planning on buying has a 6.7 inch screen like like, just buy an iPad, dog. Why? There's no point for me to buy an iPad when I can... It's just 10 inches, dude. It's just 10 yeah, inches. That's, that's only three more inches. I can't carry that in my pocket. You can try. Oh, yeah, you How can. How big are your pockets? <laughs> Back pocket. <laughs> Not 10 inches. Cargo, that's for sure. Cargo just pants, Just fold it in dude. half. Cargo pants. Yeah, it comes folded from the factory. <laughs> <so>. Pre-folded. <laughs> to your liking. Might as well just get okay, a Okay, so fold. before this totally derails... Um... It already happened. <laughs> you can't stop it, Alex. I want to talk about this tool I just stumbled upon today. Um, it's called Pulumi, P-U-L-U-M-I. I'm going to read you a statement, and I want you to think about what this means. Modern infrastructure as code. Declare cloud infrastructure using real languages. Enable developers and operators to work better together. What? What, what do you think that, that means? That literally no went idea. in one ear and out the other, dude. He's <laughs> like the most generic um, statement ever. Is it... You just... <laughs> They have a bunch of APIs to set up cloud services so you can just write in whatever language you yep. want. I don't Yep, I that's literally it. it. It's it's coolish. I'm a little confused by the concept, but they support JavaScript, TypeScript, Python, Go, and .NET. And you can just like import the package and then import the AWS package they also have and then do oh bucket equals AWS dot S3 dot bucket. Like I think it's a cool okay. concept. Um, yeah. I hadn't quite seen something like that. It could be a total market I'm just not familiar with, but I don't know. For someone who doesn't want to have to actually learn how, like, the in-depth parts of that work, that sounds cool for, like, really quick deployment. I don't know. That's... It just seems like keyword galore to me, but... Well, I mean, 
mean, realistically, someone like me, I don't have a great hardware background. I don't know what to do if I'm trying to deploy something. Something like this lets me do that quickly and efficiently for prototyping. Like, you wouldn't use something like this in production, I would hope, but I would think this lets you uh, essentially, I don't know, get a quick prototype out. Yeah, I think you're right. And the fact that they support multiple languages is helpful because, you know, like, you're not... You're only if if it only supported let's say Go, you're only gonna receive support from the Go community. But if you're mm-hmm. if you're supporting a bunch of languages, you're getting a, a lot of support from a lot of different communities. I guess. Yeah, I, I mean I, I just think it's a cool tool. I mean I, I no I was supporting least... you, Alec. No 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 totally. I was I was trying to argue with OJ. My brain's still on OJ argue mode. I totally Holy. I totally um, you're totally right, Hayden. Um. I don't know. I think it's a cool concept, and I appreciate, like, the whole developer niche of tools uh, is such a great market right now, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that seems useful. Yeah, definitely. So, and then, yeah, that's, so that's the tool I had this week. Um, okay, well, last time I talked about FixMatch, uh, that was actually the name of the machine learning algorithm. I finally remembered. Mm. I'm not going to talk about fixed match again, even though I do find it interesting. Um, I'm going to talk about this thing that I actually haven't looked at in a really long time, but um, it's called the Golden Research Engine, and it's pretty much trying to fill the. It's it's trying to be like Wikipedia, kind of. Um, Wikipedia is. Wikipedia is fantastic, but it's not very modern. It hasn't changed very much since it's been created, I guess. It's a great source for information, but what what Golden is trying to do is they're they're trying to make something a lot like Wikipedia, um, but with kind of like a knowledge graph built into it, so it's easy to explore um, like meta topics and stuff like that. Um, so I, I really like that aspect of it. And something else that's really interesting is they're they're developing um, some machine learning algorithms to actually help you write articles. So you can, uh, it, if you want to write an article about, let's say, the Perceptron, which which I actually did write it on Golden, don't look at it because it's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you actually can point it at any website. And it'll it'll read through the website about the perceptron and it'll pull out like information that seems relevant and suggest it to you, so you can easily uh, put together articles. Now I know that doesn't sound like very reassuring that the output is going to be good, but you can edit them yourselves. You don't actually have to use their tool to do any any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of it's kind of new right now, but I think I think you guys should check yeah, when... it out. Yeah, when profile picture, dude. When um, uh, what is it? Just kidding. When Golden, when they develop their tools a little bit more, I think it'll be more useful. But right now, like Wikipedia is such a knowledge monolith that it's kind of mm. hard to build something that is trying to not necessarily replace it, right? Because that's not what Golden's trying to do but create another mm-hmm. knowledge base that people will use. Wikipedia is just so huge and has so many editors and so much effort in it. It's kind of hard to to like come up against that 
And on Golden, I've seen that a lot of the the content that shows up is um uh, it's it's useful for like very new things or very niche things, um mm-hmm. like new companies and things like that, like Silicon Valley type stuff, and that stuff will show up there. But like last time I used their uh, their machine learning like writing tool, really wasn't that useful. And uh, the output like wasn't that great, but if they end up making it more useful, it could be really powerful. Because all you would have to do is, if you wanted to write an article about something very new, then just point it to some like news article or a web page or something, and it will just pull together that information. Um, mm-hmm. I and I I don't really see why someone wouldn't just create a million pages and just point them all to the Wikipedia pages for them um, and just copy the information from Wikipedia, but whatever. I don't know, I think that would, like, uh, probably flag as, like, uh, straight up um, plagiarism, don't you think? Well, you can yeah, do Yeah, but that. What, do you, what are you gonna do? There's no pl- plagiarism police. Right. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know, it's, it just It's seems only illegal un- in school. To me, but... I mean... I guess you're right. Um, if you actually just like created a website that was a mirror of Wikipedia, <laughs> that probably would not be okay. Um, but I, but like I think their big picture idea is to have like some kind of artificial intelligence that can be guided by by humans to write quality articles, mm-hmm. and like eventually it can it can piece together information from multiple sources. Yeah. Right. Instead of you just pointed at an article, it extracts what it needs, and then, and then it's done. Right. Uh, what I would like mm-hmm. to see from it is right now it's it's kind of tool-assisted writing, but it would be cooler if it was human-assisted computer writing. Right. So it would be like interactive, um, and you could still do manual edits, but the most of the work is done by whatever algorithm for scraping and um, and like writing the text, and then you would like. Mm-hmm. It would like prompt you, and you would be able to fix things or put in information it was able to, to it was not able to to gather. And um, yeah. the, one one thing about it that's also really cool is is the knowledge graph thing. They also have like all of these fields for the pages, so they have like all of this cool metadata that you can like search over and connect with other things. And and that's awesome. And the idea behind that's really cool. It's just that there isn't enough content on there right now for it to be all that useful so i'm just like on here right now just looking around and uh i noticed like considering the current circumstances of the world you know they have this huge cluster of uh, articles that's just on the covid19 and like research potential treatments that kind of stuff and uh it's absolutely it's a lot of information for someone, like for only one person to um, uh, to collect. So definitely, this is assisted um, and probably just fetched through some like web scraping and whatnot. Um, with well, of course, more careful selections. There's also a lot of people can contribute. Uh, you know, any number of people can contribute to a single page, mm-hmm. just like on Wikipedia. You can actually look at the page and see exactly what the people are doing mm-hmm. to each page. 
but the cluster thing is very cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I would think was a little bit maybe cooler in the direction of their the knowledge engine and like the connecting all of these pages together, the clusters, which are super cool, is just build that on top of Wikipedia. Just link to Wikipedia articles and connect them that way. And then maybe like scrape pages for metadata instead of recreating all this information on gold. Yeah, that might be useful, but I, I it would it wouldn't I it would be problematic to get permission to actually scrape Wikipedia, I would imagine. Especially if you're trying to like commercialize it. Yeah, that's true. Well, is Golden commercialized? Um, well, I they're either they're if anything, they might be VC backed right now, Probably. but you know, this isn't free, right? Web hosting isn't free. CDNs aren't free. And they don't have ads, so that's true. That's true. Interesting. So, yeah, no, that's okay. so. Yeah, um, I just want to shout out John Conway died. Not only did he die, but he died from coronavirus, which is really sad. And he was a super interesting dude, and um, and one of the things I've always been fascinated with in the field of computer science is cellular automata, at automata, as I used to say. Um, but, uh, Game of Life is super interesting, and it's, the whole field of cellular automata is really cool, and you can do a lot with it. So one of my, one of my favorite examples is, um, you can recreate the Game of Life with Game of Life, which is amazing. Um, you can create, people have created, like, fully functioning computers, and it's, and all with these incredibly simple rules. And, uh, I don't know. I think that's, like, super elegant. And he created something that was... It's like... It's almost like art, because it's very visual, and uh, it's very interesting to look at and, and just play with. Like, it puts uh, a computer science concept into the hands of, uh, of just about anyone. Like, anyone can play around with it and, uh, and make things with it. You don't have to understand the theory behind it. So, I, I don't know. I think his contribution, and I don't really know much else about the things that he contributed. Uh, I mean, just just that mainly. But even that is, is super amazing. And, uh, I don't know. It, it's sad to see one, see, see someone who is so um, influential and contributed a lot to the world um, pass like that. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and just another quick, cool cellular automata effect um there are some cellular automata called the uh, reversible cellular automata a game of life is not reversible yeah. but there are some right. and they're really cool and um so the one that i know about uh and, and what i mean by reversible is um when you simulate in time you can reverse the time step so change the rule so that it's reversed and it will actually go back to its original state no matter what, no matter what you do with it, it's really cool. And the one I know about is um, based on uh, instead of checking neighbors, it, well, it's I think it still uses neighbors, but it it uses rotation. So it like rotates these um, these uh, cells around like a like a local axis. And for some reason, that rotation means that the uh, the uh, automata is reversible. 
it, it's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, Cellular Automata is awesome. Rip John Conway. Okay, that was episode three of episode three re-recorded of the Stack Smashing podcast. Um, I don't know if there's actually anyone listening other than my mom. Right now. I don't know if your <laughs> moms are listening. My mom is certainly listening. No, um, one hates me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know if there's any topics you want us to talk about. Uh, let us know. We presumably have a new email. Maybe not. I don't know, Alec. Do we have? Do we? Do we have a new email? I like the old email. email. Let's stick uh, with the old email. You can contact us. You can contact us at stacksmashing seven two seven two on gmail dot com. Yes. I'm sorry, um, you cut out. What is it? Stacksmashing seven two seven two gmail dot com. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yep. Stacksmashing seven two seven two. Um, it's a little unintuitive, but <laughs> that is the email you can contact us at to send us topics. And we will consider talking about them. Um, I, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Soon we're going to have an episode coming up about how online classes are going. I think that's pretty relevant, you know, because everyone is cloistered in their homes right now across the world. Um, so, yeah, tune in next time. Thanks. <laughs>